Well, greater reward, that's what we're going to be talking about. You know where I think greater reward starts? It starts where we all have desires. And we all have desires. As a matter of fact, what we end up seeing is really there's a lot of, of overlap of similar desires that we have. That, that we can look and go, hey, some of us have a desire to be more healthy and make healthy choices with our life. Some of us desire to be more physically fit, and that's a desire that we have. Some of us desire to have a relationship and take it to the next level. Some of us have a desire to have just a, a strong and rewarding relationship with our spouse. And we just start looking at these different things that, that we all do. We desire to have a financial freedom and what that means for us and what, what that could mean for our family and a legacy. That, that these are all things that, that we desire. I think that in a group like this, that I think we desire to know God more. I think we desire to understand his will for our life, that, that these are all things that we desire. And, and when we look around and, and we see other people and we kind of look back to ourselves, that, that sometimes we'll look at some other people and we'll go, <clears throat> why is it that <clears throat> they seem to be achieving what they desire? And we kind of look in the mirror and find something about what we desire that it's just not happening. It's not moving forward. We're not making the progress on it. The, the desire is still there, but we're just not getting any traction. And we can look at that and we compare that. And maybe we look at our own lives and we go, it seems like for every step forward that I take, I end up taking two backwards. And we, we get frustrated over it because we're going, but I have this desire, but I'm just not able to achieve and to experience what it is that, that I, I really long for. In just a couple of months, <clears throat> I'm going to be 55 years old. And uh, that is a mile marker because there are going to be some places that I'm going to be able to go to and they're going to offer me a senior citizen's <laughs> discount. I I'll even be old enough that I can live in an exclusive community. Now, I don't know what it is about, hey, uh, you're 54, you're a rebel rouser, but uh, now that you're 55, oh, yeah, you, 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 you've arrived and you're not going to be any problem, so you can come live over here. Where, where, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I, I'm, I'm at a place that when I look in the rearview mirror of my life, I've got more full-time ministry years in the rearview mirror than I have out my front windshield. And I'm not saying that to preface that I'm going to be leaving anytime soon. So if you were hopeful, you're out of luck. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'd like to believe I've got around 10 years. don't really know yet, but uh, I'd like to believe I've got that still in me to do full-time ministry. But, but it is. It's, it's interesting when I, when I look and I go, wow, I've got more full-time ministry years in my rearview mirror than I do out my windshield. And it reminds me that of something that, that I was told while I was even still in college. And what I was told while I was in college is I was studying for ministry to go into ministry and was reinforced at seminary. And, but I was told this, that 20 years in, that the peers, the people you look around, people you know now, and, and, and they're studying to go into ministry and they're wanting to do 20 years from now, the majority of them will no longer be in ministry. And, and when I heard that, I was like, Nah, that, that can't be. And, and I actually had somebody just walk me through, and they had actually written in their Bible people that they graduated with that were going into ministry. And they put a check next to every time that person, there was a person that stepped away and was no longer doing ministry with their life. And he only had three people left. 
And it was just one of those things that just was like, it just resonated with me. And I started thinking, why, why is it? Why is it that there's a few of us that we're still in this and we're still going strong? Why is that? And I think it has to do with greater reward. That, that I just am somebody that, that I believe that there's a greater reward to staying in ministry than what there is in burning out of it. And, and I just think that that's been something that, that shaped me. And because of that, I've just worked hard to try to protect and, and, and find things that I'm putting in place to make sure that I'm not burning out of ministry. In fact, I'm one of these people that, that I'm absolutely convinced that, that ministry should be the most rewarding thing that we get to do. I, I'm just convinced. And I don't mean that just vocationally. If you're part of our dream team and you volunteer and, and you, you just serve God by serving people, I, I just really believe that, that ministry should be one of those, those greatest rewards, the greatest joys that, that we end up getting when it comes to what we end up doing with our lives. And I, I just think that that's important. And, and when you think about it, when you think about it and you think about, hey, marriages that, that are strong and healthy, that, that when you think about it and you think about, hey, well, households, that their, their finances, that, that there's not stress and, and they're just, everything's put together and they're just managing that. When you think about it and you think about people who have these lifetime friendships and they're still connected and still doing life together, that when you think about these different things, the families that, that just do such a great job at consistently spending time with one another, enjoyable time with one another. That when you think about these, that, that why is it that those happen? And I really think it's because of greater reward. Because people get focused and they begin to see, hey, there's a greater reward if, 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 if we'll do what we need to do, if, if, we'll, if we'll stick through it through the hard times, through the, through the difficult times, through the tempting times, if we'll stick through this, that there is a greater reward if we will keep on keeping on. And so that's what we're going to be looking at, that there's a greater reward that when we begin to, to look ahead, here's what we desire, we, we look ahead and we're going, hey, that's something I really want to do, I want to achieve, I want to have happen. And when we focus on the greater reward for that, that's when we keep on keeping on. When I think about somebody who had a greater reward mentality from our Bible, that there is one standout greater than anybody else. And it's, it's the obvious answer. And it's Jesus. I, I think that Jesus had this mentality of greater reward. And so as we get started in talking about this, we're just going to be in the series for three weeks. But today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the joy of discipline. I know you're note takers and you're like going, hey, the joy of, did he say discipline? Because that's, that's not a word that we typically associate with joy. We don't, we don't go, oh, joy. Yeah, that discipline, that, that's what's synonymous with joy. That we don't think in terms of what we need to do and have this self-discipline and go, hey, that, that, that's, what, that's what gets to it. We just don't associate these two together. But I think that when we finish today, that you're going to see that, wow, these two, they really do belong together. And that there is a joy that comes and there is a joy that we can experience when we have the discipline. That, that we'll have these desires, but when we have the discipline that is necessary to put in place so that we can achieve these desires. That when describing Jesus, 
that, that Paul did this often, and he's writing this church of Philippi, this book of Philippians, and, and as he's writing, he's describing Jesus, and we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 6. He said, who being in very nature God, that, that Jesus was man and he was God at the same time, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, that he was God and he's man, but he didn't go, I'm just gonna keep using this for me and it's gonna be selfish and I'm gonna get what I want out of it. He didn't do this, verse seven. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That he preexisted in heaven and he came to earth and he came in the form of a human. Verse eight, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That, that Jesus came to die. And that death that he died was even death on a cross. And I would say that, that if you're just checking out Christianity, that, that you're somebody that, that you haven't crossed that line of faith and you're just still trying to explore and kick the tires and try to figure out what is this and what is it not. And if, if you're trying to understand what Christianity is, let, let me just cover a few of the major points of Christianity. And so Christians, they believe, we believe, that, that Christ, Jesus Christ, is our Savior. That, that, that's what we believe. And for there to be a savior, that means that there needs to be something that you're being saved from. That you, you wouldn't have a savior if there wasn't the saving from needing to take place. And so what is that thing that we need to be saved from? Well, what we need to be saved from is we need to be saved from the penalty of sin. And maybe sin's a word you've heard and you just don't really understand what, what, is, that, that, what is that thing? Well, sin is this. It, it simply means to, to miss the mark. It, it means to fall short. And so God has a standard. God creates all of us, and he has a standard for our life. And that standard that God has for our life, that standard he created us, is this is how you need to live. And that standard for you and for me, that standard is perfection, that, that we would live a life perfectly. That's God's standard. And anything short of that is sin. And, and if there is sin that all of us will end up having, that, that if there is sin, then that severs our relationship with God. It, it breaks that connection and it prevents us from being able to spend eternity in heaven. And so in order for that severed connection to be reestablished, this is how serious sin is. That God said where there's sin, the only way that sin can be paid for, we could use the word atoned for, paid for, the only way that sin can be paid for is that lifeblood, something living has to lose its life for the purpose of a sacrifice and that blood will cover and pay for sin. And if you've read through any of the Old Testament, that time before Jesus, that, that you'll read about a lot of instructions and people that are doing a sacrifice, sacrificing an animal, and they wouldn't like look and go, hey, that one's close to dying, let's go get that one. It was a, no, the instructions are, you need to have a one-year-old. That you need to have an animal that's without blemish. 
you need to take that and that's what you sacrifice. It wouldn't be a sacrifice to sacrifice an animal on their last leg. And it would pay for your sin. But the problem is, as soon as you sinned again, now you needed another sacrifice. So Jesus, he came to be our savior to pay for our sin penalty and to pay that for us. And so he came willingly to give his life, to sacrifice his life. And as he came willingly to give and to sacrifice his life, that he did, he gave his life and three days later he rose from the dead. He even told us that this would happen before it happened. And what that does is it allows Jesus to be something that no other sacrifice was before. A living sacrifice. That he came back to life. And it's what put an end to the cycle of sacrifices. And, and, and Jesus is actually, it's the only human sacrifice that God has ever accepted. And so that, that's in a nutshell, just, just understanding Christianity. It's about having a savior because we've sinned, we fall short. We don't even measure up to our own standard in life, let alone God's. And it breaks that connection and Jesus gave his life to reestablish that. He came to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the writer of the book of Hebrews picks up even more details than what Paul was sharing about this. And so we're going to look at Hebrews 12, but I'm just going to tell you about Hebrews 11 before we get there. In Hebrews chapter 11, we get a a long list of, of people of incredible faith. They didn't always have incredible faith, Sometimes they wavered and they returned to have an incredible faith. But we get this list of people who they had this incredible faith. When when their life came to an end, that they were living a life of incredible faith. And and we get to see how they stayed true to God, even through the the, the most difficult of circumstances. And, And right after we get through that, then we get told that, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these people, that they've lived life already and they've strayed true to God, that, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a, a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, anything that would prevent us from living our life for Jesus. Let, let, let's get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. Let, let's let go. Let, let's walk away. Let's abandon that. And then it's a recognition of, of who Jesus is, that we would, we'd finish the race that's marked out for us, and that, that Jesus, that what he is, he is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. And then let's pick this up in verse two. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And if you're just following along with your Bible, digital, whatever, I would mark that, scorning its shame. That there's something here that we're going to see in in just a moment. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I want to make sure that you understand something about crucifixion and and the cross and, and, and dying this way. That the crucifixion, whenever somebody was crucified... It was associated with a few things. It it, it was associated with torture. It was associated with blood. It was associated with nakedness. It was associated with agony. That that this was a form of punishment that was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. And, And that this had a sense of shame. It was a public shaming and and created such physical pain as well. 
is, is why they would do this. And, and the Romans are the ones that came up with this. They devised this. And, and when they devised this, they also, because they recognized just how bad and how brutal this is, that it was illegal to crucify a Roman citizen. They would never do this to their own because of how bad it is. They would never bring that kind of pain and they would never bring that kind of shame to a Roman citizen. But yet Jesus, he endured the cross. What for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. That Jesus thought lightly of the shame. He scorned it. He thought very lightly of this shame and he didn't let that shame come in between what he came to do. And he came to give his life as a sacrifice so that we could have our sins paid for, atoned for, and that we could have a right standing with our heavenly father. That this word, when we look at this word in our Bible, this word shame, kataphraneo is this Greek word for shame. And when you think in terms of when you cataphraneo something, that you think less of it. That's what cataphraneoing is, that you're going to think less of it. You're going to think less of something. Think lightly of it, that you would never let it rise up and become something that would be important. And see, that's what Jesus did. He cataphraneoed. He said, I'm not going to let the shame become this important thing. Yes, you're putting me, and you want to shame, but I'm going to reduce, I'm going to lessen its worth. I'm going to lighten its worth. I'm going to lighten what that really is. And I think about as Jesus, as he knew that he was going to be given his life on this cross, and as that time is approaching, I just think about these competing thoughts that are going through Jesus' head. As that time is approaching, even as he is dying on the cross, that I think that Jesus, that one thought that he's got is, God, I want to finish the work that I left heaven and came to earth to do. And I think that's something that he's got this focus on. He knows that this is what he wants to do. I think he's got these competing thoughts and this, this thought of, hey, he wants to experience the joy of pleasing his heavenly father. And, and, and he knows that that is so important to him, but just finding this joy in doing this. That I think one of the competing thoughts for, for Jesus is, but dying on the cross, that's a physically painful death. And they had perfected how painful they could make it and yet still keep somebody alive so that they would continue to agonize through this pain. And then I think Jesus has this competing thought of this is a shameful death. This, this, is, this death is, is meant to shame me. And he had to cataphraneo. He, he had to scorn. He had, he had to lessen. He had to lighten what it would mean to go through that physical pain. He had to lighten what it would mean to go through that shame. Verse 3 of chapter 12, Hebrews. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That, that consider that, that he was able to focus on a greater reward and he was able to stay true to his calling and his mission, his purpose. 
that, so that we would not grow weary and that we would not lose heart. That discipline will give you what you want most. Discipline does that. Discipline will give you what you want most when you sacrifice what you want now. But you have to choose to sacrifice what you want now in order to get what you want most. Here's the thing about discipline that sometimes we lose sight of. That discipline is your friend. Discipline is your friend. And, and, and discipline, it's there so that you can get to having a greater reward. That, that everything in life worth having, it requires discipline. You want to have a great marriage? It requires discipline. If, if you want to have financial freedom, it requires discipline. You want to have a great relationship with your kids? It requires discipline. Might have expected an amen there. But I'm not talking about just disciplining them. It's your discipline as a parent. And disciplining yourself and, and not being as hard on them is what you might want to be in a moment. It's disciplining yourself to be as hard on them as they need you to be on them. It's disciplining yourself and saying, hey, I'm not going to spend all of our household resources on me and I'm going to save some for them. It's, it's making sure that you're not spending all of your financial resources on them because then you don't have anything for you guys as a family. It's discipline. Everything in life that is worth having, it requires discipline. You want that beach body? Discipline. Everything in life that is worth having, it requires discipline. And you know, we, we all share some of these common desires, but yet the results that we're seeing, they're, they're vastly different. That when it comes to relationships, that in a relationship, here's what we all want. This is the overlap. This is where we have everything in common together. When it comes to relationships, our deepest relationships, this is what we all want. We all want trust and we all want intimacy. This is what we want. There's not a uniqueness there. But it's not what we always get. Who is it that says... By time I'm 30, I want to have burned through at least three marriages. No, no, nobody sets out a goal for that. Because see, we all want the same thing. What do we want? We want intimacy and we want trust. That, that these, are the, these are important to us. And so this is what we look for. This is what we make sacrifices for. It's what we put our discipline in place for. That, that when it comes to health, that what we all want is we all want to we all want to feel good. We all want to be at our best. And, and who is it that says, you know, I, I, I just, I want to be winded by the time I walk two blocks. No, no, nobody, nobody says that. Who, who is it that says, I want to look bad in a bathing suit. No, no, nobody, nobody says this. See, we, we all want the same things. That, that when it comes to finances, what do we all want? We want stress-free finances. That's what all, it, all of us want this. We, we want stress-free. We, we want 
financial freedom. That, that not only do we want to be stress-free when it comes to our finances, we want to have the ability to be a blessing to others financially. That I, think, I think this is true of all of us. That we just, I, I'd love to be able to, to bless somebody else financially. And that if you ever get there and you ever do, it, it feels good when we get to be that blessing for somebody else. That, that, that who is it that says, I love living paycheck to paycheck. So don't, nobody says that. that no, nobody wants that. We all want the same things. But yet we're getting drastically different results. And so what would it take for us to get the results that we really desire? That have you ever noticed that desires won't deliver desirable results? That just because you desire something, it doesn't cause that to happen. It's discipline that delivers desirable results. It's discipline. And this is where discipline is our friend. And without discipline, we often won't get what it is that we desire. That great hopes, they won't bring desirable results. It's great habits that bring desirable results. You know, it's interesting, this thing called willpower that we call on and, and we try to use to get to where we can achieve the desires that we want. That, but here's, here's the thing about willpower, if you've not figured this out. That willpower, it wanes over time. That's just what it naturally, it doesn't grow over time. It wanes over time. So, so, so maybe you, you kind of take a look in the mirror one day and you're like going, man, I could stand to lose about 10 pounds. Whatever it is, you go, I'm gonna go on a diet. And, and you're determined and, and you, you start your diet. That same day you start your diet, you can go walking right through the break room and you can see a donut a fresh, crispy, cream donut just sitting right there in the break room. It's kind of hard to see this fresh fruit because the donut is right there. And, and, and when you see that and it's day one of your diet, it's all good. Because you know what you do? I'm on a diet. I, 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 can't, I can't have that. I, I'm on a diet. You know? and, and so, so you go on. But, but, but if you were to have that same experience a few days later, that, that you come walking in the break room, you see that donut and you get a little bit closer. <laughs> and you're looking at that, you're staring at that donut and it's more like, huh, too bad I'm on a diet. But you're like, I'm, I'm on a diet. And so you do, you, you, you avoid it. But, but if you're like a week and a half in on your diet and you come into the break room and you see that donut, you get really close to that donut. You kind of look at that donut and you start thinking, I've been on a diet for 10 days. I have been really good. I, I, that's a, I, I've never done this well in 10. I, you, you have done, you know, you deserve a nibble. I mean, just, just a nibble. I mean, just, just a, a little reward. Mm. Oh, and you're reminded of just how good 
It tastes. And you look back at that donut and you're like, who leaves a nibbled donut? I can't, I can't leave it. If it's just a nibble, nobody else is going to enjoy it. So I'll just go ahead and take half. And you break it in half and you begin to enjoy your donut. And while you're enjoying that donut that I am enjoying, what you are getting is you are getting a now reward. Not a greater reward, but you're getting a now reward. And you're enjoying that donut in the now when you are consuming it. And, and, and you'll eat it and you'll enjoy that now and you might even have just a few seconds of, of that taste lingering in your mouth before the flavor's gone. And your now reward is over. But the calories are here to stay. The, the, the now reward. And, and so we all have a choice. So am I going to choose a, a greater reward or am I going to choose a now reward? That that's the choice that we have to make. And the now reward, it is always a lesser reward. That the later reward is always the greater reward. And we all have these desires and we all go, hey, this is what I desire, this is what I want. But it's going to take a discipline and a determination if we're going to get that greater reward. Because whenever we fail, what ends up happening is, is we convince ourselves. We convince ourselves that ah, it's no big, it's just a little nibble. It's no big deal. That, that we convince ourselves that, you know, I'm going to just do it just this once. And this is what we do and how it is that we end up convincing ourselves. And when this happens, we end up finding ourselves that we end up buying it. We end up clicking on it. We end up taking it. That, that what we end up doing is we end up smoking it. We, we just go, hey, I'm going to go ahead and I'm, I'm going to take my now reward. And it is a lesser reward when we do this. That we tell ourselves everybody else is doing it and we tell ourselves we're, we're really not hurting anybody else. And so we go for our lesser reward. And then after your willpower wanes and it fades and it lets you down, Satan, your great enemy, will come right alongside you and do everything he can to maximize the consequence of what you've just done. It begins to just whisper in your ear that, that you're a failure. You're a bad person. And we start hearing these things, we start thinking these things, we even start believing what he is telling us and we begin to even tell ourselves, I'm never going to amount to anything. We'll tell ourselves, I, I'm never going to have a rewarding marriage. I'm never going to have financial freedom. We just begin to tell ourselves, we beat ourselves up. We are, we say, I, I'm just worthless. Because we took a lesser reward and our enemy comes along and he beats us up. 
Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, actually has a vulnerable moment in the book of Romans. It's in chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 15. And he writes, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. He's talking about the spiritual conflict that's going on, that, that he knows in the spirit what he really wants to be doing, but in his flesh, he is not doing what the spirit wants him to do. And, and there's this battle going back and forth. And, and he's one of the great heroes of faith in our Bible. Verse 18, he says, for I know, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in, in, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot Carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And there's a struggle going on. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who, who will do it? And, and what Paul writes about, it, it's something that really we could label the, the shame cycle. The, the shame cycle of, of, of where we find ourselves, that, that when we've done something and we're feeling shame, that, that, that what do we do? We, we try hard. That, that we just, okay, I, I feel some shame. I, I, I just need, I need to try hard. And as we try hard, that when we find ourselves in this place, that we end up having some willpower that kicks in, but our willpower is weakening. And as our willpower is weakening, what happens next in this shame cycle is our inevitable failures. That we just inevitably fail. The willpower isn't going to hold out, and we go this way. And then what happens next with us is we have a place where we just know, I'm bad. I'm just bad. I'm a bad person and my life's not going to amount to anything. And the shame cycle is just kind of going through and working its way through our lives. And then we get to guilt and shame. And we feel this guilt and the shame and it's just an endless cycle. Because we feel the guilt and the shame, I need to try harder. But then my willpower wanes and then there's an inevitable failure. I'm bad. And it's just a cycle. And that's the shame cycle. And we wonder, why, why can't I get out of it? Why can't I break out of it? What, what, what would I have to do? How, do? how do I break this? Because it's not going to be willpower. But it's living by the power of the Spirit. Living by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of God. That's what's going to break the shame cycle. That we've got to tap into living by the power of the Spirit. Because it's in this shame cycle that we're going, hey, something's wrong. Something's not working. But what we need to do is realize that it isn't something that we need. It's someone. That's what we need. We need a someone, not a something, but a someone. We need a savior. And Paul wrote this in Romans 7, verse 25. He said, thanks be to God, who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That it's, it's through Christ that, that you're free. It's, it's, it's through Christ and it's in Christ that there's no condemnation. It's in Christ that, that you're a deliverer. It's in Christ that, that you are a conqueror. It's in Christ. And we don't need 
behavior modification. What we need is a spiritual transformation. That's the change that we need. Last verse I'll share with you is Galatians 5, 16. Paul's writing this as well. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what you want now has a now reward. That, that when somebody does something, and, and they, they hurt you, and, and what you want right now is you want to let them know how much they hurt you. And so if you want to now reward, what you're going to do is, is you're going to give them a piece of your mind. And, and you're going to say things and you're going to say them uh, hurtful things in hurtful ways with a hurtful tone. And you're going to get a now reward. I feel a little bit better now that I took a piece of you after I feel like you took a piece of me. Because you gave them a piece of your mind. But that doesn't help that relationship. It doesn't move that relationship along to where it's going to be a greater relationship. That it's going to take greater reward thinking and greater reward mentality. It's going to take wanting a a later reward instead of a now reward. Because your now reward of giving them a piece of your mind is going to keep you from having the later reward of peace of mind. And we all are going to choose. What are we going to do? And which reward am I going to seek? What is it that I really want to do? What is it I really want to achieve? And, and you got to look at what we desire and what you desire in a relationship. Are you working for that desire? Or are you working against that desire? But if you want the greater reward, you're going to have to deny the now reward. You're going to have to deny the lesser reward. And you're going to have to live by the power of the Spirit. And it's Christ's power in you that is stronger than the wrong desire that is in you. But it's going to take discipline. So where where do you need to be applying the joy of discipline in your life? Where is it that as you look and you see the desires that you have, Where is it that the joy of discipline will get you and deliver you to what you ultimately want to experience? You're going to have to endure some of the shame and some of the pain and deny yourself of a now reward if you're going to have the greater reward. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, You know that we just have a natural craving to have a now reward. To have that, that instant. And God, you, you, you know that we've got some, some desires, some great desires. Desiring great things relationally and, and health and even financially. That these great desires that we have. God, would you, would you help us to have the discipline for a greater reward. God, when it comes to knowing you more, knowing your your will for our lives, 
God, help us to have that, that discipline, the joy of discipline so that we can ultimately experience what we truly desire. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.